So this morning we're going to be talking about uh, faith and unbelief, faith and inauthentic faith, or uh, what it means to really have faith in Christ versus what does not. And as you kind of go through the New Testament, especially you see this on display in the Gospels, Jesus is doing miracles. He's, he's teaching the word of the Father from Old Testament promise and prophecies. He's healing diseases and he's pointing to what's going to happen in the future. And everyone surrounding him is faced with a choice, whether to believe or not believe, whether to accept, whether to reject. And that's the same place we come in this morning. Even if you're a Jesus follower, you're a Christian here, you and I come in wondering and asking the question, do we really believe or do we not? Do we have an authentic faith or do we have a deficient faith? Is it a faith that's changing us or is it a faith that's not real? And so this is where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 12. And so I just want to encourage you to ring along. We're going to read a good portion of this passage. There's so much here. Um, I wish that we could just hang out together for the next several hours and talk about it, but you don't want to do that, and so we're not going to do that. We're just going to kind of hit some of the major pieces in this. So Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the heads of the grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing something that is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Let's just pause. We'll kind of dive into this a little bit more in a little bit. But just for context, know that this wasn't something that the Jews were allowed to do. The Sabbath was a day you were supposed to rest, and a day you were supposed to rest in God. And it's a day for worship. It wasn't a day for work. And so there were all these laws about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. One of those laws being you weren't supposed to go and work in the fields. And that's what they were doing. They are plucking grain and eating it. Verse 3 said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor those who are with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest and the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you know what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and there was a man with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. So that's a really important statement if you underline or circle. You kind of can see what's happening here. They're trying to set Jesus up. They're trying to get Jesus in trouble. Verse 11, He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? So most of us don't have sheep, but if you have a little dog and that dog falls in a hole, how many of you are going to leave your little dog there just to suffer and die in the hole like all night long? No, you're going to rescue your dog out. And there were actually laws that allowed them to do this. If an animal was hurt, you could rescue your animal. Verse 13, or verse 12, how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying people are far more valuable than animals. So if God would give you this provision for animals, what would make you think that God would not want you to rescue someone far more valuable than that? It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Verse 13, Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. Verse 14, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how they might destroy him heavy. Verse 14, or 15, 
Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. This is Isaiah 41. Behold my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is pleased. And as we're reading this, this should kind of strike a chord in your mind. If you've been here the past couple weeks or if you've been reading this, this has been quoted before. And it was quoted at Jesus' baptism, right? Father, these words come out of heaven, Jesus baptized. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Matthew's bringing out what's happened earlier on in the book, that this same Jesus is the son of God. I will put my spirit upon him and will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. You might say, what does that mean? That could be a whole different sermon. The idea is that a bruised reed is a reed that's hurt. He will not break it. A smoldering wick, a candle that's about to go out, he will not extinguish. It's talking about those who are suffering and hurting. Jesus is not going to crush those who are hurting. He's going to come to rescue them. Until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him. So that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's really important. You might be saying, like, what in the world is going on here? Okay, so we'll get to it. Hang in there. Stick with me. Basically, the Pharisees are saying, hey, the way that Jesus heals people, the way that he casts out demons is because he's from Satan. Like he has the power of the devil. That's how he's getting rid of the devil inside these people. And Jesus is saying, no, that makes no sense. If I was of the devil, why would I be fighting myself? You know, a house divided against itself cannot stand. He says this later on. A a man cannot serve two masters. You love one or you hate the other. He's saying, if I was Satan, I would not be undermining my own work, is basically what he's saying. Verse 29. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods? unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. I love it. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. And we'll talk about what that means. Blasphemy, the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. We'll get there. Verse 33, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's scary, right? On the day of judgment, when Jesus comes again, we'll give an account for every single careless word that we speak. 
For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Verse 38, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered and said, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign, but no sign will be given, except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment. This generation will condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment. Talking about the queen of Sheba who came to visit Solomon with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. A lot of scripture a lot going on. This is a really, really cool passage. And so we're going to dive in. We're going to hit as much as we can. And the big theme this morning, the big idea of this text, the idea of faith and unbelief. Faith and authentic faith. I don't know about you, but I'm sure there's been a point in your life where you've had hope that something was going to happen uh, that ended up letting you down. Have you ever had something in your life let you down? Yes, no, okay, so maybe that you had an expectation and that expectation was far exceeded, but for a lot of us, we've had things that have let us down. This morning, I got up and I got dressed and I was leaving my house early, about 7.30, just to kind of get my heart and mind ready for this, and I, I love Apple products and I, I have them and pull up my iPhone and did the notifications, see what the temperature was outside, it said 51 degrees, a high of 60 degrees. I was like, oh, I thought it was going to be a lot colder than that, no big deal. I'll grab the light jacket and head out this morning. It was not 51 degrees this morning. It was 30 degrees outside this morning when I left and got in my car. And so, man, Apple let me down this morning. Like I was expecting that it would give me what I needed to get through the day. Or maybe you've like gone and wanted to get that haircut. And you're like, man, this haircut is going to look awesome. And you've been kind of baking your hopes on this. And then you walk away saying... I've ruined my life. Like, this is not what I wanted. It's not what I want it to be. Or maybe you went to the store and you bought something, like, and it broke within two weeks of when you first got it. You know, it didn't turn out. We have all know what it feels like to put our hope in something and for it to let us down. And so, as Jesus comes on the scene, people have a choice of whether or not to put their hope in him or not. And what we see all throughout the Gospels, we see in Matthew and we see leading up and we see in this chapter is that Jesus is not turning out to be who people want him to be. His family and the people from his town, they're rejecting him. They don't think Jesus is awesome. He's the son of Joseph. What's he doing all these things for? They disdain him. The zealots, they don't like him either because they want him to be against Herod. They want him to bring political upheaval and like save the nation. He's not being that for them. The religious leaders want him to fit inside their religious laws. We were just reading here, and Jesus is not who they want him to be. And a lot of times for us, we feel that tension in our own hearts. A lot of times we want Jesus to be who we want him to be for us instead of resting in him for who he is. And this is where we come in this morning on chapter 12. And so there's three truths from this passage that teach us about faith that I want us to just kind of hone in on this morning. The first is this, and it might seem obvious, but it's important. It's that Jesus faced rejection. Jesus faced rejection, truth number one. And Jesus facing rejection, um, it, it's all throughout these passages, and we see it through here. 
especially when it comes to religious leaders. They're not accepting him. They completely reject him. They reject him in several different ways. One is that the religious leaders, they reject his definition of what right worship is. They are rejecting what they think his perspective of the truth and perspective of the Sabbath is going to be. They reject his ability to heal. They don't think his healing is legitimate or don't think it's from God. They reject his source of his power. Later on, we see that they even reject that he was, in fact, the Son of God. Here's the point. All throughout Matthew 12 and setting up 11 and on forth, Jesus again and again and again is rejected. And so there's just a couple of truths that are in this for us or kind of application things for us. One is that not everyone liked Jesus. And today we all have a hard time with what to do with Jesus. We feel that now. But here's kind of a, a just kind of a side from where we are going. And it's that if Jesus faced rejection, you and I are going to face rejection. If you follow Jesus, if you love him, if you want to pursue him, you're going to face rejection. In fact, Jesus promises that, right? John 15, the world has hated me, it's going to hate you too. And so if you're going to be a a Jesus follower, it's not always going to be popular. In fact, it's not going to be easy. Life is going to be difficult and people are not always going to come on your side. In fact, that's not going to happen a lot. And following Jesus, if Jesus faced rejection, it means that following Jesus is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Jesus is not trying to make you into the perfect version of you that you want to, him to make you into. He's trying to make you into his son. Jesus is trying to make you into himself. God's trying to make you into the image of his son. And that's not an easy process. That's a difficult process. And so we see all throughout this passage, especially through the first section, that Jesus he's facing rejection in the earlier chapters by his family, his friends, these other areas, but now from the religious elite himself. And that brings us to the second truth. And this is kind of the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. This is the question I want you to think about. Why was Jesus rejected? Why was he rejected? Why did people not want to believe in him? Why in this passage do you have the Pharisees saying, you're not of God, you're a son of the devil, don't follow him. Why was he rejected? And this is the second truth. The rejection of Jesus was an overflow of inauthentic faith. The rejection of Jesus was an overflow of inauthentic, not genuine faith. And so the question for us this morning, this is the question that we've got to wrestle with, you've got to wrestle with, and I've had to wrestle with this week, is that is our faith real? And so I want to do, I just want to walk through this passage again, and I want us to kind of see, because it's all throughout here, what's the difference between authentic faith and inauthentic faith? And as I do this, the goal is not to, like, make anyone here think you're not a Christian, you know? So if you start reading some of these statements, say, that's not true of me, or that's not true of me, that's not true of me. Maybe you're in this room, and you are a Jesus follower, but maybe your faith has begun to shift from Jesus to something else. Maybe your faith has begun to shift from him to you or from following Christ to leaning in and resting your hope in someone else or something else other than Jesus Christ. Or maybe as we kind of walk through these things, it becomes really apparent that, man, you've never had faith in Christ. And the good news, friends, is that this is an opportunity for you to respond 
to him. And so I want to just give us several truths about what it like, looks like to have inauthentic versus authentic faith. The first is this. Inauthentic faith views worship as an event. Authentic faith views worship as a lifestyle. Inauthentic faith views worship as an event. Authentic faith views worship as a lifestyle. The first two sections that talk about Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath, this is what's happening here. The reason the Pharisees are so upset is that Jesus is messing with their Sabbath. Now, to really understand this, we have to understand that the Sabbath was one of the most important things that the Jewish culture held on to that demonstrated they had faith in God. So if you want to be a good Jew, a good Jehovah follower, you kept the Sabbath, if you were male, you were circumcised, and you kept the dietary laws that are given Leviticus. Those were the three outward symbols that you were a good Jesus follower, that you had faith in God. And so for Jesus to come in and start doing things that they didn't approve of on the Sabbath was messing with what they thought right worship was. They thought worship had to do with a day. And on that day, you did certain things. And if you did those certain things on that day, then you were worshiping. But what Jesus says is no. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And ultimately, Sabbath is about rest. In fact, in Matthew 11, and and we would have read earlier if we had time, it talks about how you are to come to me, all you who are weary in labor, and I will give you rest. What Jesus is saying is that rest is not found in a day. Rest is found in a person. Worship is not about resting on one day. Worship is about resting in Christ always. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a response to God. And yes, we need to have Sabbath in our life. We need to take times to rest. It's important even as we gather on a Sunday first to stop and remember God's word. But Jesus is saying it's not about just a day. It's bigger than a day. It's about a person. Worship is about resting in all of life. Not resting always from what we're doing, but resting in Christ and his work for us. And the religious leaders, they couldn't see that. They were focused on the day and keeping the day. And Jesus even points out to them that, hey, back in 1 Samuel, David himself went and he ate the bread that he wasn't supposed to eat on the Sabbath, and he was blessed. And then in Numbers, the the Levites, the priests, they were allowed to eat of the bread on the Sabbath, and they were blessed. Jesus is saying, hey, if you would look back and see your law, you'd see it's not about the day. It's about worshiping God. So inauthentic faith, it focuses on the day when authentic faith it looks, sees worship as a lifestyle. The second one is this. Authentic faith sees worship as a place. Authentic faith views worship as a person. Inauthentic faith, it views worship as a place. One of the biggest hang-ups for the Pharisees is that they viewed worship as being at the temple. The temple was the main place of worship. And yes, you could gather every week in the synagogue and you could read the scripture, but everything was focused on the temple. And the temple were where sacrifices were made. It was the seat of their worship. But look at what Jesus says in verse 5. Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. There's something bigger. Worship is not about a place. It's about a person. It's not about whether we gather in this building or gather at Gray or gather somewhere else. It's about who we're gathering to see. It's Jesus Christ. Inauthentic faith focuses on the means instead of on 
the person itself. Who are you resting in this morning? Who are you looking to this morning? What are you leaning into this morning? Is it Christ or is it what we do? And that brings us to the third one. I think this one is the one that kind of hits to the heart, my heart, and I'd say probably yours as well. Inauthentic faith obeys in order to earn God's love. Authentic faith obeys out of love for God. This was the root issue, one of them, for the Pharisees. The reason this was so hard for them, the reason why they couldn't see that what Jesus was doing was right and good, is that they were trying to earn God's favor by keeping the Sabbath, by keeping the the temple, by not profaning these things. And while they were doing that, they were working so hard to earn God's favor that they were missing God's heart. They were saying, hey, don't heal on the Sabbath. Don't do good on the Sabbath. Don't cast out demons on the Sabbath because you're breaking the law. And Jesus is saying, what are you talking about? I've come to give life. God is the God of life. He's called us to do good. If you can do good and rescue a sheep out of a pit, you can do good on God's day. And while that seems crazy for us to even think and consider, it's like, oh, those Pharisees, we need to say, oh, no, look at our hearts. So we do this all the time. We try to use going to church or being kind or reading our Bible or giving a tithe or going on a mission trip. We do those things so that God would love us, to gain God's approval instead of doing it out of love for him. And Jesus is teaching us and calling us to not try to earn God's love, but to obey because we have been loved by God through Jesus Christ. So if you come in this morning and you're working so hard, so hard to do all these things so that God will accept you, you need to know that you can never do enough so that God can accept you. And God's acceptance is not based on anything you do for Him, but it's based upon what He's done for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we do obey, and we do pursue holiness, and we do good, and we sacrifice, and we lay down our lives, not to earn God's favor, but because we have God's favor. So authentic faith recognizes that our Savior is not ourselves. We need Christ. And this is what the Pharisees were missing all along. Keep going. Inauthentic faith is ultimately rooted in unbelief. Authentic faith rests in Jesus as its only hope. Inauthentic faith is ultimately rooted in unbelief. Authentic faith rests in Jesus as its only hope. So we get into kind of this dialogue in verses 22 through 32. And it's this conversation about demons and Beelzebub and the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and blasphemy against the Son. What's going on here? Ultimately, the Pharisees are saying they're, they're trying to figure out a reason that they can accuse Jesus. And if they can make Jesus out to be a sorcerer, the law is very clear what you do with a sorcerer. You put them to death. And so they're making this argument that if Jesus is casting out demons, he must have demons in him. He must be working for Satan. That's how he's getting his power. That's how he's doing these things. And Jesus, kind of as we said earlier, is saying, if I was filled with Satan, why would I go against myself? Why would I hurt myself. That, that doesn't make any sense at all. I'm not doing these things because I have the power of demons. I'm doing these things because I have the power of God. And then he gets in this conversation against blaspheming against the Holy Spirit versus blaspheming against the Son. What's all that about? Well, for the sake of time, we'll just kind of go to it. He says, anyone who blasphemes against the Son 
Or whoever says a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. What's, what's he talking there? What, what is this sin that cannot be forgiven? And the sin that cannot be forgiven, it's unbelief. It's not homosexuality, and it's not suicide, it's not any of these other things. What Jesus is saying is that you can say things against the Son, you can disbelieve the Son, you can reject the Son. In fact, every single person in this room has done that, right? We have spoken words against the Son of God in our hearts, in our voices. We have done that, and you can be forgiven of that. But the Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to see our need for Christ. And anyone who says to the Holy Spirit, I do not believe, I will not repent, that is the sin that cannot be forgiven. And ultimately, that's what's happening here. The Pharisees are saying, we reject you, God. And Jesus is saying, if you reject him, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved in this life. You cannot be saved in the next life. Who are you resting your faith in? Is it in Jesus or is it in someone else? Authentic faith rests in Jesus as its only hope. And there's so much richness here. We'll keep moving on. Next one's this. Inauthentic faith produces insecurity, anger, and pride. Authentic faith produces thanksgiving. We get into the section about the tree is known by its fruit, verse 33 through 37. Either make the tree good, make the tree bad. A tree is known by its fruit. What's, the, what's he saying? He's saying that whatever a tree produces names that tree and so if you have an apple tree and apples come off the tree what kind of tree is it apple tree i gave it away right (laughs) if you have a tree that produces bananas it is a banana tree thank you guys you're not asleep that's awesome hanging in there he's saying whatever fruit comes out of your life or out of your mouth shows whose you are And when you look at the Pharisees, what's coming out of their lives? Insecurity. Pride. Anger. They want to destroy him. The fruit of what is inside is coming out. What is on the inside of you, what is on the inside of me, it will come out in what we say. It will come out in how we live. It is the testimony, our words and our actions, of what we really believe. You and I can say we love Jesus, we can come in here and raise our hands, we can sing these songs, we can do all those things. But if we go outside and we curse our brothers and sisters, we're angry at people, we're arrogant, we're frustrated, uh, we're hateful, we're insecure, it doesn't show that our faith's in Jesus, right? What is inside will come out. If you squeeze an orange, you're going to get orange juice. When you squeeze a Christian, you should get the fruit of the Spirit, Christ, a love for others, not Jesus juice, if you're laughing, if you're kind of like me, that's what I think. So um, it should be Christ. When we go through difficult things, thanksgiving should come out, love should come out, grace should come out. That's what was coming out of Jesus through his difficulty, through his trial, through his persecution. So one of the ways that we know our faith is genuine, our faith is real, is that when we're squeezed and when we walk through life, the things that come out of our heart and out of our mouths, they make much of Christ. And that is a hard one for me, okay? A lot of times when I go through my week, I can see my faith starting to shift when my words are focused more on me 
what I want, what I desire, instead of the good giver who's given his son and given himself for me. Inauthentic faith produces insecurity, anger, and pride. Authentic faith produces thanksgiving. Let me give you one more. Authentic faith views Jesus as an obstacle to overcome or a resource to use. Authentic faith views Jesus as the greatest treasure. Read it again. Why don't you think about this? Inauthentic faith views Jesus as an obstacle to overcome or a resource to use for your own gain. Authentic faith views Jesus as the greatest treasure. Getting to kind of this last section, verse 38, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we wish, that's the key word, to see a sign from you. Did they really want to see a sign from him? Did they really believe in him? No, he was an obstacle for them to overcome. He was in their way. The people who were following Jesus, they wanted to use his power for his own ability, right? You read in John 6, they get the feeding of the 5,000, the loaves, they start following Jesus around. Why? Because they want free food, they want more bread. And so the same thing happens to us. If our faith is not rooted in Christ, we will see Jesus is an obstacle we have to get past. He's in the way. He's keeping me from what I want. Or he's a resource that helps me gain something. If I go to church, if I listen to the right music, whatever, people think about me in a certain way, Jesus helps me get to what I want. But when we see Jesus for who he is, when our faith becomes real and set in him and we're resting in him, he becomes our treasure and our joy. We're not trying to get past him. We're not trying to use him. We rest. We find our hope in him. And so throughout this passage, what we see is we see these religious leaders who cannot get past who they want Jesus to be and what he is not in their eyes. They cannot believe in him Because he's not lining up with what they want the Messiah to be. They believe in a Messiah. And if anybody would believe in Jesus, it should be these people. Why? Because they knew the law. They knew the Bible better than we did. They knew God's word. They were looking for the promised one to come, but they didn't think the promised one could be Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't lining up with what they thought the Messiah would be. And for us, the question this morning is, Are we pursuing and resting in who Jesus is or are we trying to pursue the version that we want him to be? And when life gets shaken and when things get shifted and things don't turn out the way we want them to be, does it cause us to press more into Christ or does it cause us to run from Christ? One of the ways you know whether someone's faith is real or genuine is that when the press comes on, When, as it said earlier, the reed is bruised, when the smoldering wick is about to burn out, when life is crushing down, does it push you to God or does it push you from God? And if it pushes you to God, it shows that there's an authenticity, there's a genuineness, there's a faith that is stronger than anything this life can offer because it's rooted in the promise and work of Christ. But when life presses down and it causes us to back up and run away and push off, it shows, just like it's showing in the Pharisees' life, that they don't really believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They don't really believe that he is who he says he is. 
And so on the one hand, we see in this passage just a clear picture of what the Pharisees think, who they think Jesus is. On the other hand, we see a picture that's very clear of who Jesus actually is. And this is kind of where I want us to end up. The third truth is this. Authentic faith sees Jesus as the Savior King. Authentic faith sees Jesus as the Savior King. Those two words are important. Jesus cannot be your Savior and not be your King. He has to be Savior and Lord. He has to be the rescuer and the owner. He can, you cannot just have one part. He has to be everything. He is all or nothing. And that was the religious leader's problem. He couldn't be their king. They wouldn't let him be their king. They would not submit to him. They were looking for a savior, but they did not want this kind of a king. For us, a lot of times, we want a savior. We want someone to rescue us out of our problems, rescue us out of our frustrations, rescue us out of our life circumstances. We don't want a king who rules over us. He's a good king. He is the best king who has your best interest and my best interest in mind and his glory at his heart. So as we see the Pharisees, I want us to see Jesus. These aren't going to be on the screen. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. If not, I just want you to think about this. While we see all of this doubt toward Christ, throughout this passage we see the beauty of who Jesus really is. First, we see that Jesus is the true and better Sabbath rest. He's the true and better Sabbath rest. In the Old Testament, people were called to observe the Sabbath wise so they could rest in God. Jesus shows up on the scene. Matthew 11, I've already mentioned it. He says, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Rest is not a day, it's a person. He's come that we might rest in him. But he's also the true and better temple. Jesus is the better temple. It talks about, and Jesus says, something greater than the temples here. What does he mean? This is what he means. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David goes to Nathan and says, I want to build God a house. I want to build him a temple. And what does God come back and say? You're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house, but not a building. I'm going to build it through a son. It's not about a place. It's about a person. Then you fast forward to the New Testament. John chapter 2, we read it a couple weeks ago. Jesus is actually standing at the temple. He makes this statement, three days I will tear this down and we'll build it back again. And the Pharisees say, what are you talking about? You cannot tear down the temple with your hands and build it back again. And Jesus says it's not the temple that he's talking about. He's talking about his flesh. He's talking about his body. He is the true and better temple. He is the one who will be torn down in three days and raised up again to save many, to save you, to save me, to rescue us. Not only that, but he's the true and better son of man. All throughout this passage, you hear this phrase, son of man, son of man, son of man. And if you've been walking through with us, you know that Ezekiel called himself what? The son of man. And Ezekiel's ministry was to go to those far from God, God's people, to call them to turn, to repent and obey and believe and run from sin. And they couldn't do it and they couldn't do it and they couldn't do it. But now the true and better Son of Man is here. And he's calling people to repent, but he's not just calling them to turn from sin and follow him. He is making a way to rescue them from sin. This is the Savior that is here. This is the Savior that is speaking all through this passage. 
But not only that, he's the true and better servant. This passage in quote from Isaiah talks about him being the servant. Verse 18, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. David was the servant. Isaiah was a servant. There was a promise that a suffering servant was going to come. Guess who that is? It's Jesus. And I love this. Look at what it says in verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, this line is so important. It just stood out off the page today as I was reading this this morning. Until he brings justice to victory. Think about what that means. Until he brings justice to victory. Until Jesus goes to the cross, there will be justice, but there'll be no victory. Right? Jesus doesn't die, there will be justice. Every single person goes to hell for the sin they've committed. That is what is just. He has come to bring justice to victory. So there can still be justice because he dies in our place. He brings justice to victory. He has come to make a way so that justice can go to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will have hope that everyone who places their faith in him can be saved. He's the true and better servant. Keep going with that. Look on down. We're almost finished in your Bibles. I love this, verse 30. or Let's start in verse 28. But if this is by the Spirit of God that I might cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Verse 29. Servant. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. He goes on down, talks about him being the son of man. What is Jesus saying there? I love this. I read this this week in one of the commentaries. What's Jesus talking about? Binding the strong man. He's talking about that what he's doing right now is he's beginning to bind Satan. He's the one binding the strong man to plunder the goods. What he's beginning to do by casting out demons and healing the sick and preaching the gospel, he is coming in to finish the work of Satan and sin and death. And he's beginning to do that in his ministry. He's coming in. He's binding Satan. He's stopping Satan from being able to do what he's come to do, to come and save the day. This is the servant who's come to rescue us. But not only is he the true and better servant, he's also the true and better Solomon. In Proverbs, it talks about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He is true wisdom. When it talks about at the end, verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment. What's all of that about? Well, there's a time when the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon and she marveled at his wisdom, marveled at what was happening. This Gentile woman who didn't believe in God, this great queen, came and became a God-fear. This is what he's saying. He's saying something greater, a wisdom greater than Solomon's here. And it's going to turn people who aren't even God's people to follow Jesus Christ. He's bringing rescue to those who are far from him. Us. But he's also the true and better Jonah. Just as Jonah went into the belly of the well for three days, or to the fish, and came out three days later, Jesus is going to go into darkness for three days. But he's going to rise again. And just like Nineveh, unworthy, ruthless, Evil, God-haters, no truth, no hope, far from God, repented. God is going to bring 
those who are far from him through this true Jonah. Faith and doubt. Faith, unbelief. The Son of God being put on display. The, the people who should have known this. The Pharisees. They knew the law. They knew the prophets. They knew all these things I just told you. They knew all these promises. But they were blinded to it. Because they could not trust in Jesus. He was not the Messiah they wanted. And if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing every single time. Look to something other than Jesus to rescue us out of what we're walking through in life. Something other than Jesus to be our treasure. Something other than Jesus to be our hope. When we see them, we shouldn't say, oh, how foolish they were. We should feel that weight. Am I doing that? Am I missing Christ? Am I missing what he's called me to do? Am I missing his word? Am I so self-absorbed and self-focused? Am I, am I missing my walking in faith? Is he my savior and my king? Am I living in light of that? It's the time just to respond. So I just want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And the band's going to come and lead us. And the reason why ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. It's not because we're doing something sneaky or anything like that. It's, it's because we just want to give you an opportunity just to think about what has been said and what's on your mind and heart. Two thoughts for us this morning. One is this. What fruit is your life bearing? Your life is bearing some sort of fruit. Make the tree good, make the tree bad. The tree is known by its fruit. What kind of fruit is your life bearing? Is it bearing faith that is genuine, that's authentic, that's resting in Christ? It's trusting in Him that's producing thanksgiving, it's producing a love for others, that it's, it's causing you to look to Him as your hope, or are you trying to do everything you can to just earn God's approval and acceptance, and being at church is a part of that. What, what, are, what are you resting in this morning? What fruit is being born out in your life? Is there any area of your life, if you're a Jesus follower, a Christian in this room, is there any one of these things that we've talked about this morning that doesn't really add up, that doesn't match up with you? If so, this might be a time just for you to repent, to respond, to say, God, this is not true in my life. This is not being a picture of you. I want to hope in you. I want to rest in you. For some, you might be here this morning, and, and all these things, they don't add up. You've been trying to earn God's approval. You've been trying to find out about Christianity. You, You've never had a relationship. You've never rested and believed in Him. You can this morning. He's come to save you. He's come to rescue you. He's the true and better Savior that fulfills the law. And He's come to rescue us by dying in our place. You can trust Him this morning as your Savior, as your Lord, the Savior King. So this is an opportunity for us to respond, to pray, to sing, to confess. And maybe this morning you need to talk to someone. After this is over, you can come talk to me and come talk to Jeremy or Larry or anyone who's here. We love to talk to you about what's going on in your life, what it means to follow Christ. But this is an opportunity for you to just trust in Him. 
ask God, measure your heart. Is my faith real? Is there any area of my life that's not adding up? And if so, what's God calling you to do? Father, we love you. We thank you that you are the one who's come to rescue us. You are the one who brings victory to justice. Through your Son, Holy Spirit, move in us. Draw our hearts to love you and follow you with all that we are and all that we have. We love you. I thank you for these people, for this family. that We get to do this together, pursue you together, Lord. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen.